Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Isaiah 49, and the last time the message was titled Jerusalem or Babylon, and unfortunately many of the children of Israel, the Israelites, were in Babylon, and after a few generations they got comfortable, and Babylon was a picture of the world. It was a picture of worldly believers. Um, Unfortunately, in any era, there's those that struggle with the things of the world, and they seem to be more attracted to that than the things of God. Today, the message is titled, He Never Forsakes Us. Well, there's also Israelites who, who felt they didn't want to be in Babylon, and they did want to be released, and God was going to do that great work through Cyrus the Persian. So sometimes I'll talk about some that are kind of worldly, wanted to be there, some that didn't. What you have to understand is you're talking about you know, possibly hundreds of thousands of people. And just like with any group, they're not a monolith, right? Believers today are not a monolith. In the uh, umbrella of Christendom, you have those that, that are really sold out for the Lord, and you have those that are kind of like the Israelites, they're just pulled in different directions, distracted, uh, and, you know, it's not a, not a good thing. Uh, you definitely, when you really know the true and living God, you, you ha- can't help but be on fire for the Lord. Uh, so we're going to look at that, and also in these next few chapters, it's going to get really exciting because we're going to talk about the Messiah. And people think, oh, Jesus, we talk about Jesus, but what they don't realize is that there's hundreds of scriptures that speak about Jesus, the Son of God, before he ever came to earth in the first century. So these messianic scriptures are going to help us to understand through the Old Testament, before it even happened, that Jesus was coming, look at it from their perspective, and hopefully, especially to Jewish people, we can share our faith and help them understand who their Messiah is through the Old Testament. And we're going to look at this in five parts. So Isaiah 49, let's jump in. Verse 1, it says, Listen, O coastlands, to me, and take heed, you peoples from afar. The Lord has called me from the womb, from the matrix, or the inward parts of my mother. He has made mention of my name, and he has made my mouth like a sharp sword, In the shadow of his hand, he has hidden me and made me a polished shaft in his quiver. He has hidden me. And he said to me, you are my servant, O Israel, in whom I will be glorified. Then I said, I have labored in vain. I have spent my strength for nothing and in vain. Yet surely my just reward is with the Lord and my work with my God. So one out of five is the Messiah's call and He says, now remember, this is centuries before Jesus came to the earth. This is prophetic. He says, listen, all you coastlands. He's speaking, and we've covered this before, he's speaking to the Gentile nations. You know, Israel was kind of in the middle of the known world at the time, and there's, you know, if you kind of look at a map, and the coastlands and the islands, and, you know, you had the Romans and the Greeks and uh, all these different nations uh, in these outlying places that, when, when he says this, he's speaking to people from distant land. He's speaking to the Gentiles. So similar to the Jews, and this is the Old Testament Jewish prophet, he's telling the Gentiles to 
that he would be their Messiah centuries before he came. Now remember, I'm going to go back and forth and show you the fulfillments in the New Testament. In John 10.16, Jesus spoke to his largely Jewish followers. He said, there's sheep from another fold that I have to bring them into this fold. He was telegraphing them that I got to go to the Gentiles as well. Pretty neat stuff. He's also telegraphing how he would arrive. The first time, it was not going to be from the clouds in heaven with a big bang and a great noise. That comes later. But the first time he was going to arrive, according to the scripture, was from a woman's womb. Amazing. Now, we read this in Isaiah 7. We see this in Luke one thirty one. We see a lot of scriptures that speak about the Messiah's arrival. And the Jewish people were to be excited in the first century to wait for this great event to take place. Verse 2, the father made the son's mouth a sharp sword. Well, we see this in Revelation 1.16. We also see it in Revelation 19.15, where when the, the Lord comes back in his second coming, a sword proceeds from his mouth and he's able to strike the nations or the Antichrist army and, and these uh, horrible uh, gatherings with this. And it's hard to explain. A sword comes out of his mouth. We don't fully understand that. But we also know that out of his mouth was God's word. So there were two things happening, right? Jesus was called the Lagos in John 1. He was the mouth of God. Now, let's, let's look at uh, Hebrews four twelve through 13. This is fascinating. I love this, this portion of scripture. It says, For the word of God is living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit and of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are naked and open to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. We can try to fool other people. We can be pretentious. But God can see right through all that stuff. And the Word of God has a tendency to cut through all that. It also cuts through false doctrine. You see so many schisms and Judaism and Christianity. But when we go back to the Word, we, everything becomes clearer. We, we understand what God's intent was. Unfortunately, a lot of um, uh, religious groups have gotten away from the Scripture and have put their own spin on their denomination, and that's where the problems come in. That's why you all have Bibles in front of you. So you can, if I make a mistake, you can come and faithfully correct me. And it's a good thing. So you, you have this situation where Christ, and it depends on His first or second coming, He's the Word, but He's also the weapon. I don't know about you, but I, I want to dig the word part of it. You know what I'm saying? In the second coming, that's it. God's prophetic time clock is done, and the Lord needs to judge. But right now, we're in the age of grace. So I'll take the word. <laughs> if somebody else wants to take the weapon, I, that's not what I want to face. But we can all have the word. You know, God's word does stimulate us and revive our spirit if we're open to it. He also speaks of being hidden, but then being like a, a precision arrow or a shaft from a skilled archer. Like John the Baptist, right? We read about in the New Testament. Uh, he was in the wilderness. He was ministered to by the Holy Spirit. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. We also see very little of Jesus' early years because there was a, a specific time that the Messiah was supposed to arrive, his advent. Okay? So he, there was some issues where um, people say, oh, we, we don't know a lot about Jesus' childhood. Well, we know some things, but it's not important. 
What was important is what he did when he officially started his ministry. Same with John the Baptist. And it was, it was choreographed. It was uh, timed amazingly how John came first. He, he prepared the way, right? Prepare your hearts. And then Jesus came after that as far as uh, his message. Uh, so we also can see that uh, as an arrow takes out an enemy in battle, and you see a lot of, in, in the scripture, uh, metaphors of weapons, because weapons are very powerful. Uh, they have the power to, to take life, but God's weapons have the power to give life. So you, you often see the word is like a sharp two-edged sword and, and all these kind of uh, metaphors. But Jesus was like that spiritual arrow, when we read this, that pierced many hearts. Normal arrows would, unfortunately, get you in the torso and kill you. But Christ, as an arrow, when he came, he came to, to go through all the facades and reach our heart and turn us back towards the living God. Also, his arrow was, was there to take out the demonic world. Uh, to take the power, the sting of sin out of the population if they had turned to Christ and trusted in his sacrificial death on the cross. So a lot of things are going on. There's just a lot of layers in the scripture. I love it. Uh, my pastor said to me, uh, he said, uh, Joe, I have to, I, when I have notes because I have to see what not to put in. He goes, there's so much you can say about the scripture. And I goes, I can go on for hours. I kind of feel the same way. My notes kind of keep me focused because there's so many different um, uh, parallels that you can make. It's, it's impressive. Verse 3, now this could be a little confusion if you read it on its face value. He speaks about Israel. Right? You are my servant, O Israel. And he says a lot of things that contextually don't fit with the nation. This is one of those rare occasions where the word Israel is meant to be actually the, the coming Messiah. The word Israel literally means governed by God. Now, and I'll give you another example. The word elect, right? The elect, God's elect. Okay, well, what dispensation are we talking about? Some of the elect in the Old Testament would be the Jews. In the New Testament, the elect would be the Christians. In the um, tribulation, it would be the tribulation saints and those evangelistic Jews that are still on the planet. So elect is a contextual word as Israel is. So let's go through this. How is Israel uh, contextually, how does it mean the Messiah in this? Well, let's look at it. The Messiah came from Israel, but he also came for Israel, right? Uh, where Israel failed to be a light to the Gentiles, the Messiah was successful. Where Israel many times did not glorify God, the Messiah did glorify God. You see this comparison. Uh, Israel was often disobedient to God, but the Messiah was truly governed by God. And Jesus said when he was on the earth, I do everything the Father wills. How many of us could say that? How many nations could say that? On a, on a daily basis, I, I fail him as a sinner, you know, but Christ, who is perfect, who is the, the Son of God incarnate, uh, he did do everything that the Father willed. Uh, you know, in, in this subject, you can look at this as the Jews being the Old Testament evangelists, really put in the middle of the known world, or when, when you look at, if you look at a map where uh, the, major, the majority of the population was, Israel was kind of put right in the center to be that light to the Israelites. But they failed in many ways. However, Warren Wiersbe says about the church, he goes, the church aggregately, when you look at Christendom, fails in many respects to take the mandate of God's word and the message of salvation to the ends of the earth. However, however, what is a healthy local church? What is a healthy church? 
A healthy church is a place where people take God's word and salvation seriously. They want to see their loved ones, their neighbors, their co-workers. They want to see them all get saved. They want to learn about the word. They want to know how they can have that information to affect the unsaved world in a positive manner. And I have to tell you, you know, my brain, I'm going to say my brain, but I also say my spirit. Uh, when I have conversations with Christians or uh, outside in the lobby, and, and I do hear this, and I hear... Hey, you know, I had, we had some friends over Saturday night and, and I told them about God's Word and I tried to get them to come to church. And, you know, by this very morning, some of you can have somebody right here right now that you brought to service. You, it, that's healthy. A, a, a healthy church is not determined by how many people are in it. I don't know where that came from. That's not the definition of healthy. The definition of healthy is where the majority, and there's a lot of definitions, where the majority of the believers are doing something. They're, they're jazzed up by the word, and they're excited about knowing more and understanding more and loving people and spreading it so other people can get saved. And I see that a lot, and I think that's, it's very encouraging. So my brain, when I hear conversations, it picks things up, and it stores it somewhere, and then I meditate on it later on, so uh, keep up the good work. But in, in the, you know, when, when I put up the Servant's Pyramid um, several months ago, it showed that the Messiah on the pyramid of the different servants of God, the Messiah was one of those servants, and it goes exactly to what we're speaking about here. Now, we also have a responsibility as believers, you know, to serve God in some way. And one of the ways to do that is to understand what your spiritual gifts are and um, pray about how to be using those gifts. Again, a lot of you have gifts that I don't have. You know, this is just my gift right here. But we all, we're all equal in the eyes of God, which is great, and we're all to serve the Lord. Verse 4, this is interesting. He speaks about laboring in vain. If you look at the Lord's ministry... Um, you know, for if, if, well, he was fully God, but if it was just a person doing that, it'd be probably very, very frustrating because there was so many hard hearts. Even among the religious echelon who should have known God's word, they rejected the Son of God. They rejected the Messiah, which is strange. Uh, many, through their hard hearts, rejected God through the, the, the Messiah who was spoken about. So, folks, when we're tempted to quit and when we get frustrated, because we can, because there's a demonic oppression that doesn't want us to be effective in helping people get saved. So when we're tempted to quit, let's look at what the Bible says. John 6, verse 66, it says that Jesus ramped up his teachings. And you know what happened? It says many of his followers walked away. <laughs> they were done. Could you imagine that? The Son of God teaching purity. And many followers just left. Like, nah, it's too tough for us. However, you look at Revelation 12 and we find that a third of the angels left God. They left heaven to become demons. <laughs> Who does that? But, <laughs> so, so whenever you're tempted to get frustrated, just know that God is perfect and people left him. This is what happens with free will. It's almost a curse of free will. Um, you know, we have it. We can choose life. We can choose death. We can choose sin. We can choose, you know, to, to reject sin. And this is something that we, we have to deal with. But Rev, uh, Luke 18, Jesus says, When the Son of Man returns, speaking of himself, will he find faith on the earth? That's a powerful statement. Very powerful statement. That's a, really a, a, a chastisement of the, of the culture at the time. And I tell you, our culture is, it's tough. You really got to know your stuff. People come at you with all kinds of things, and it doesn't help when other uh, supposed denominations and Christian organizations are doing really weird things. You have to kind of cut through all the layers of the onion to get to the heart. 
So sometimes they'll come at you with legitimate things. Oh, hypocrisy and and this and that, and they're pointing at different things. And I go to the bottom line. Listen, God's going to deal with them, especially if they have a cloak of religion. You get saved. Don't worry about what that guy's doing. Trust me, it it didn't miss God's notice. Some of these things are diversions, but... There's different techniques in, in sharing your faith. Uh, continue on, verse 5, it says, And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant? You know, in the English, it comes out a certain way. And this is why when you say, Pastor Joe, well, how do you know that definitely means God, that definitely means Jesus? Because it depends on the writing. So in the English, it says Lord, or there's God, or there's different things. But uh, in the original Hebrew, it can say Yahweh, yod heh which is the uh, tetragrammaton, or the covenant name of God. Uh, depending if it's the Greek, it would say Adonai, or it could say, uh, you know, I'm sorry, Adonai is Hebrew. Uh, there's different uh, Greek words as well. And what I do is I go into the original language, and then I pull out the meaning. So let me continue. It says, And now the Lord says, Who formed me from the womb to be his servant, to bring Jacob back to him, so that Israel is gathered to him. For I shall be glorious in the eyes of the Lord. Now this is key. Again, it's not the nation of Israel. Men, women, we're not supposed to take glory. And we're certainly not supposed to take God's glory. However, the Son of God is glorified. He spoke about being glorified. Um, so it's, you, you know, contextually it doesn't fit with human beings. We, we're never supposed to receive worship, glory, or anything that God should be receiving. That's key. And my God shall be my strength. Indeed, he says, is it too small a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to restore the preserved ones of Israel? I will give you as a light to the Gentiles that you should be my salvation to the ends of the earth. Thus says the Lord, the Redeemer of Israel, their Holy One, to him whom man despises, remember the suffering servant, to him whom the nation abhors, to the servant of rulers, kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship, because of the Lord who is faithful, the Holy One of Israel, and he has chosen you. You'll find that in the middle of a line, there'll be a different context, right? So you, speak, you see the, the suffering servant, the suffering Messiah, before he even comes, the Bible said that he would be rejected largely because of free will and, and you know, people making their own gods and such. But then you'll see another aspect to it, and we'll cover that. So 5 through 7, uh, number 2, is the Messiah's mission and his ministry. To bring wayward Israel back to God after hundreds of years of prophetic silence. So understand that Jesus came in the first century, but Malachi was the last Old Testament prophet, and God had given his people a lot of prophets. So after Malachi, there was what's called prophetic silence until John the Baptist. Three, four hundred years of the people like, well, where's God? Well, where are the prophets? It was a tough time, but God had to let them go their own way, their backsliding way. And then John the Baptist came with fire. And then Jesus came after him. And, and you wonder why so many just got up and started following him, right? Because the, the prophetic timetable was, was coming. Matthew 15, Jesus said, I have come for the lost sheep of Israel. Lost. And they might have been making a lot of money. They might have had two houses. They might have had all kinds of, you know, two chariots and a bunch of horses. I don't know, a bunch of donkeys, whatever wealth was back in that day. But they were lost spiritually. Wealth and, and achievement and education, even today, is no indication of spiritual maturity. 
right? Or spiritual finding your way. You can have all the things of the world and be spiritually lost. So Jesus made that clear. We also see that the Messiah would bring salvation, but also be salvation to both the Jews and the Gentiles, right? The Messiah would be rejected and despised. Now, when we hit Isaiah 53, which is a few chapters from now, that's a heavy picture of, again, before Christ comes, the rejection that he was going to face. Now, don't get me wrong. Um, it, was it all lost? Of course not. It's 2,000 years later here. We're still worshiping Jesus. So, um, again, it's, it goes back to the church and the numbers thing. Numbers are not an indication of success. Christ came. He died for our sins. And for those that, that follow him and believe in that sacrifice, they have everlasting life. It's an awesome thing. So it was, it was, it was sad in a sense because people had hard hearts, but it was also successful. What lasts 2,000 years uh, in, in that type of power? I talked to um, missionaries, and God's doing some amazing work in some of these uh, decadent nations. It, it's impressive. Verse 7b, if I can read that again, it says that kings shall see and arise, princes also shall worship. Well, we just saw that the nation abhorred him and man despised him. When the wise men came... Even as a, a, a toddler, a baby, they worshipped Jesus. They brought their gifts and they wanted to see the, the Messiah. You know, God had spoken to them from their distant lands. Impressive. So even the whole thing about the distant lands in the first century started coming to fruition. So they came and they worshipped him. Here's something. Mark 5, it's a, it's a small gospel. Not a lot of people have read it. Uh, but in Mark 5, Jesus is going to cast out a demon uh, from a man, and I think the demon gets caught off guard. Guard, Jesus approaches him. The demon inside the man immediately recognizes Jesus, and the first thing the demon does with the man is to bow down and worship him. Read it. So, some things in the Bible you like. They, it's almost like punches you in the face. It's almost like a splash of cold water. Whoa, whoa, let me read that again. The demon worshipped him. He had no choice. The living God was standing. People, men, were so dumb they didn't realize that God was in their presence. But the demons knew who he was. Powerful stuff. I I love that. Uh, so we continue on. This God. This God who made everything, this God who is so powerful, this God who sees a sin-marred creation and wants to redeem it and turn it around. He wants to flip it. He wants to make it good again. This is the God who loves you and wants to be a part of your life. Sometimes I need to break the cadence of the message and, and express to you that this isn't some distant God. This isn't some history book that was written centuries ago. This God is the same God whether he was in the time of the Babylonians, the Persians, the Greeks, the Romans, or the United States. He's the same God. He loves you. He died for your sins. He sent his son to die for your sins. And uh, honestly, that's an honor. So if you've come in here this morning uh, feeling low or just, I don't know, just kind of meandering through life or just struggling, uh, this is the God who wants a personal relationship with you. Hard to believe when we see how grandiose he is, but it's true. He can do big things. And he can also be a personal God at the same time. That's why he's God. Because <laughs> we can't do that stuff, but he can. I mean, are you carrying a burden this morning? At the very least, why don't you let him help you lift that burden? Right? One person going through it, one person lifting a burden. Let the Lord come in there and help you. Let him guide you through that burden, whatever it is. This morning may be your day to receive Christ. Verse 8, we continue. 
Verse 8 says, Thus says the Lord, in an acceptable time, or in a favorable time, I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. So the Father and Son work together. In the first century, Jesus and the Father, you know, the Son and the Father were in communication. The Holy Spirit was a part of that, doing the powerful things behind the scenes. And it's this amazing thing between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I will preserve you and give you as a covenant to the people, to restore the earth, to cause them to inherit the desolate heritages, that you may say to the prisoners, go forth to those who are in darkness, show yourselves. They shall feed along the roads, and their pastures shall be on all desolate heights. They shall neither hunger nor thirst, neither heat nor sun shall strike them, for he who has mercy on them will lead them. Even by the springs of water he will guide them. I will make each of my mountains a road, and my highway shall be elevated." Surely these shall come from afar. Look, those from the north and from the west, and these from the land of Sinem. Sing, O heavens, be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains, for the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. Wow. Three out of five is the Lord's blessing. Again, one thing we have to get used to when we look at prophecy is, is again, God sees his prophetic word. He utters his prophetic word. He knows it's easy for him to follow. Sometimes with us, we have to do a little research to kind of figure out, well, he's over here speaking about Babylon. He's speaking about the Messianic. And you just got to meditate on it. You got to pray. You got to read. You got to find parallel scriptures. And it's great. Um, you put it all together, and it's a, a beautiful picture. Uh, so you have elements of the Lord's return. We covered that. The Messiah, we're going to see that through the end of the chapter. You're going to see elements of supernatural supernatural sustenance going from Babylon back to Jerusalem, which was a heavy trek with a lot of perils. Okay, so when you read that, keep that in mind. Uh, there's also spiritual allusions as well as those to a future time in the Lord's millennial kingdom. So future to 2018. And God's even speaking about things that hasn't happened in our lifetime yet. Powerful. So verse 8, it says, In an acceptable time I have heard you. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians 6. 2 Corinthians 6, 1 through 2. Because the Apostle Paul picks this up and he, he blows it up. I mean, in a good way. He gives us a bigger picture of it. He quotes what Isaiah says. And he says, We then, as workers together with him, Christ, also plead with you not to receive the grace of God in vain, For he says, in an acceptable time I have heard you, and in the day of salvation I have helped you. Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. Now that word now, whenever it's read, means now. So it didn't mean now 2,000 years ago, but it doesn't mean now, now. Understand, whenever you read this, you can read it today, it means now. Now. So, this, this idea of salvation, this ideal idea of this time where you know, the Lord came and he died for our sins, it was now in 1 Corinthians' time, the first century, but it's also now, now. So I just wanted to make that clear. He spe- so this is the message of the cross, right? Salvation is any time at this point in the age of grace. Good stuff. He also uh, wanted to fulfill the Messiah's uh, commission to be as a covenant to his people. Now, I'm going to read Jeremiah 31. This is the last uh, parallel scripture for the morning. 
as we put it up. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Check this out. In the Old Testament, God through his prophet Jeremiah was signaling the New Testament. Testament, covenant, it's the same word. It means agreement. So check out what God is saying that in the Old Testament, I had an agreement. It's run its course. I have to make a new agreement. And this is the agreement that's going to bring Jew and Gentile together. It's going to save the world if the world would want it. So check it out. He says, Behold, the days are are coming. This is the Old Testament. Says the Lord, When I will make a new covenant or a new testament with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant, which they broke... Though I was a husband to them, says the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law in their minds, I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they shall be my people. No more shall every man teach his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest of them, says the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity and their sin I will remember no more. Powerful. Right in the Old Testament... Jeremiah's talking about the New Testament. And think about it. In the Old Testament, it was like, know the law. It's written down here. The Levites. What's the law say? What did number eight say? In the New Covenant, where the Holy Spirit seals the believer, he says, I'm going to write it in their hearts and in their minds. So it's like a conscience thing with a believer being sealed by the Holy Spirit to guide us. No one has to tell us from the outside. The Lord will tell us. You ever get a check in your, in your spirit? You ever get the Holy Spirit tell you danger? Don't do this. Don't go to that place. This isn't a good idea. Don't make that purchase. Right? It doesn't happen every day. But God is, is looking out for us. So this was a different covenant, speaking of the New Testament. Pretty impressive stuff. Things that didn't happen in the Old Testament. Verse 9, he speaks about, going back to uh, chapter 49, he speaks about the prisoners going forth and those in darkness showing themselves. Now, this isn't a treaty on, uh, treatise on prisoner reform. This has really nothing to do with an actual prison system. But Jesus freed the captives to sin and death. He freed them from sin and dysfunction. And we're freed as well. You know, the person who doesn't know Jesus, and a lot of times they don't understand it. And actually, they'll, they'll be offended if you tell them. They're actually a slave. They're a prisoner to their self. And when Christ came, when we trusted in him, we're not shackled anymore by sin and self. And when we die, right? When we die, we go to heaven. There's promises there. Because you can reject God your whole life and then die and then you just go to an eternity without God. Not good, but that's a choice. However, when we come to the Lord, not only are we not chained in this life, we're not chained in the next life. So come forth, come out, show yourself. Verses 10 through 12, he speaks about leading them to water. He speaks about making roads out of mountains. Um, You see elements of the Babylonian exodus But you can also look to the Millennial Kingdom, which we covered in in detail, about the roads and the the making it easy for those from the ends of the earth to get to Jerusalem. We also, in John the Baptist, right? Jesus, uh, the Bible here in Isaiah is speaking about 
doing a great work so that the Israelites can get from Babylon back to Jerusalem, a long and difficult trek. But John the Baptist also said, make the path straight for the way of the Lord. Level the mountains, fill in the valleys, make the crooked path straight. Why did John say that? This wasn't another exodus. He spoke about our hearts. He spoke about removing obstacles because the Messiah was coming. Open your heart to him. Don't reject him. Don't close your heart. So it's, it's an interesting thing to watch. You can see physical applications, but you also can see spiritual applications. And I would encourage you, if you haven't accepted Christ yet, I mean, all the prophets say the same thing. You know, the, all the prophets speak about the Messiah, even going all the way back to Moses, even going back to Genesis. God was always looking to redeem mankind. Keep that in mind. Also, you know, get, God can remove obstacles in our lives. He can remove spiritual obstacles that keep us from him because he loves us. So continuing on, verse 13. Sing, O heavens. I'm going to read this again. Be joyful, O earth, and break out in singing, O mountains. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. Boy, when Jesus came, was that true or what? Jesus did, if you think about it, he did counseling. He understands the human psyche. He helped lift people up emotionally. He healed the sick. He uh, promised everlasting life to those who died in him. This is exciting. He has comforted his people. He will also have mercy on his afflicted. Jesus was very gentle with the outcasts of society when society could be very harsh. So this is exciting. You know, this, this excitement about singing. And, and again, he didn't even come to the earth yet. But whether you look at the Old Testament or the New Testament, God always has this understanding for his people. Now, you may say to me, well, Pastor Joe, I mean, I read some things in the Old Testament and, and I get it, what you're saying. God said, this is my law. Did people always follow the law? No. Did God have real problems with those that took advantage of the poor? Absolutely. Did people still do it? Absolutely. But what did his law say? There was a, a social system, a social safety net for those who were poor. And many times through his prophets, they excoriated those who were taking advantage of the poor. So the poor, the afflicted, the sick, this is our God. When you read the Bible, make sure you understand the difference between what God wants and what people choose to do in a sinful way. The Bible is, is, there's so many levels to the Bible. You have to read it in its context. Okay? So, continuing on. But Zion said, or the area in Jerusalem, the Lord has forsaken me and my Lord has forgotten me. God responds, can a woman forget her nursing child and not have compassion on the son of her womb? Well, surely they may forget, yet I will not forget. See, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Your walls are continually before me. Your sons shall make haste. Your destroyers and those who laid you waste shall go away from you. Lift up your eyes, look around and see. All these gather together and come to you. As I live, says the Lord, you shall surely clothe yourselves with them as an ornament and bind them on you as a bride does. For your waste and desolate places and the land of your destruction will even now be too small for its inhabitants. And those who swallow you up will be far away. The children you will have after you have lost the others will say again in your ears, 
This place is too small for me. Give me a place where I may dwell. Then you will say in your heart, Who has begotten these for me, since I have lost my children and am desolate, a captive and wandering to and fro? And who has brought these up? There I was left alone, but these, where were they? So four out of five is God's people are never forgotten. You ever feel forgotten? Be honest. Sometimes we do. We feel forgotten. We see circumstances. We see injustice in the world. And we like... God's timing is probably one of the most difficult things that believers have to deal with. Whether it was in the Old Testament or today, God's timing. You know, rest assured, everything will be made right in the end. So in context... A lot of the Jewish people felt, why are we in, well, if they would have actually, the, Jeremiah the prophet and the other prophets said, there's going to be this 70-year captivity. And then at the 70th year, the Lord um, rose up Cyrus. He conquered Babylon and he had favor with the Jews and sent them back home, which was great. So God always kept his promise. But again, when you're going through it, it's like, when's this ever going to end? You know, in the search for the Messiah, written by a Jewish doctor, I love that book, uh, there was a rabbi, Rabbi Rachman, <laughs> and he spoke about in, that in the first century that the Messiah didn't come. And he said, woe to us. Because they didn't want to accept a gentle, loving, not conquering the Romans Messiah, they assume that God broke his promise. That's a very, very, very dangerous thing to do. And folks, let's not disassociate ourselves from what we read in the scripture. Sometimes we allow our feelings, our emotions, and circumstances to get the better of us. Rabbi Rachman, who knew the scripture inside and out, came to the conclusion that God broke his promise, which was not good. Because he wanted to accept the Roman conquering Messiah, the, the, the battle warrior and all that. That's the second coming. He didn't want to accept how God sent his son the first time. So we have to be careful with turning the scripture or manipulating the scripture or coming to the wrong conclusion based on our circumstances. I'm speaking to myself too. I just want you to know that. So I listen to my sermons again after a Sunday and I'm like, oh, yeah, I should, take, I should take that point. I mean, honestly, if I don't, I'm stupid up here. You know what I'm saying? This isn't just for you. It's for me too. So the points that I make, if the Holy Spirit gives them to me, sometimes I remember my own annoying words in my head. And I have to realize that it's just the circumstances. It's just the thing. Um, God is good and he hasn't forgotten me. I'm just being transparent from the pulpit. Verse 13, I'll read it again. <laughs> the second part. For the Lord has comforted his people and will have mercy on his afflicted. There's nothing wrong with asking in your personal prayer life, Lord, I'm struggling. I can't say anything. I can't, I can't think. I can't get my thoughts together. Lord, you know my heart. And I'm, I'm having a hard time. He's your father. To be honest with him. He's not looking for perfection. Verse 15. Can a woman forget her nursing child? Now check this out. Science tells us there's a neurochemical oxytocin or oxytocin um, man has made a synthetic version of it for various reasons but naturally 
This neurochemical floods a woman's brain during labor, childbirth, and breastfeeding, which creates a great bond between the mother and the infant, which, incidentally, God created, not by, didn't happen over millions of years. But if a mother, hear what he's saying, that even if a mother does, for some reason, lose her maternal instinct, God says, I'm never, forget, I'm never going to forget you. And, and we have to understand that if you don't know the Lord yet, um, you almost judge God by how people have hurt you and you've built up these walls. God says right here, even if a, a, a nursing mother can forget her infant, I will never forget you. Psalm 27.10 says, When father and mother forsake me, the Lord will take me in. And I know plenty of people personally that have had very dysfunctional homes, um, parents that didn't seem to care, people who grew up didn't even know their parents, one or both. But the Lord will take you into his family. That's encouraging. Because that can be a very, very painful thing to grow up like that. God is not like your parents. So, good stuff here. Verse 16, he says, I've inscribed you on the palms of my hands. Now, there were, you know, some of the stuff is, you kind of got to look it up. There's customs, uh, people tattooed or or drew things about Jerusalem or just kind of remembrances. But I, I think about the nail scarred hands of Jesus Christ. Right? When we find in the New Testament, John 20, Jesus is already resurrected. He's already got this glorified body. And Thomas, Jesus says to Thomas, because he was a doubter, Thomas is like, no, I know you got crucified. It can't be you. And Jesus shows him his hands. And he goes, take your finger, put it in the, in the hole. Even in his glorified form, Jesus still had the marks of the cross. And... I, I can't, this stuff is, it blows me away. I'm like, I'm like an eight-year-old when I read this stuff. Does, so, you know, John in, in the throne room of God in, in Revelation says, and I saw someone, a, a lamb, as if, as if it had been slain, Jesus Christ. He still, in his glorified form, bears the marks of what he did to show his love for us. That's powerful. That is powerful. There's nothing else I can add to that. He says, your walls are continually before me. Again, he always had plans for Jerusalem. It was a timing issue. Verses 17 through 21 um, shows that there was such a great turnaround in Jerusalem that nobody could expect it. So I'm not going to read all of them again, but basically I, I read this group of verses, and it talks about uh, this desolate land now is, is inhabited, uh, th- those who had lost children, uh, they, they have all these children. Basically what happened was when the Israelites came back to Jerusalem, uh, it was so, so amazingly fast how they were able to remove the debris. It was like supernatural. It was. They were able to clear the rubble, build a wall, build another temple, uh, clean up Jerusalem. Things started growing again. And this is historical fact, by the way. You know, and th- there was such a population explosion that people were blown away. Well, this was desolate Jerusalem? You could imagine, the, the, and, and this happened, uh, neighboring countries would, would send scouts and be like, what's, what's going on over there in Jerusalem? Well, you wouldn't believe it, King. This is amazing what they're doing over there. So this ex- expresses it from a historical standpoint uh, that he would even keep his, their enemies at bay so they wouldn't be able to attack them. And he said that you know, the, the, children, the blessing of the children and all these things would be worn like an ornament. Now, in that culture, brides would wear certain ornaments, and uh, that's what he was referring to. So he's like, in, in, a, in a metaphorically way, 
with the, all the children and the population explosion, all the great thing, it, it's going to be like wearing an ornament. It's, it's an incredible blessing. Verse 21, he says, you know, when, when we speak about these things, who has, be, who has begotten these for me since I did lose my children and I'm desolate, I was a captive, who has brought these up? So it's this incredulousness of the people saying, how could this have happened? And the only logical conclusion to come to was that it was from the Lord. And we can look at things in our lives and look back and maybe, you know, we're going through something and, and the Lord relieves it and maybe we forget all the good things he's done to, to, for us. And part of prayer, I believe, well, it's, it's scriptural, should be thanksgiving. You know, I think if we start and, and, we, and we have a regular prayer life and we, we thank God and just kind of think about the things that you're here this morning, you made it. <laughs> so hopefully you're all conscious and, you know, everything's good. Uh, but just to start thanking God, just that appreciation, you know, and just so they, they didn't think that it was them or it was other circumstances. God did such an amazing work, so miraculous that they had to come to one conclusion because they're asking all these questions. It had to be from God. First, and I can tell you something, I look at my life and... I even look at my life, sometimes I, I, I have a dream a dream or I have a memory. It's weird how the mind works. And I think about some of the things I did in my old life and I'm like, I'm still alive. <laughs> That's amazing. So, I mean, I can't, I just like sit back and I'll say to Heather, my wife, I'm like, you know, I just th- thought about this. And she's like, what? <laughs> so I'm like, God is just so good. And I, I know we can all have those moments. The last few verses, 22 through 26. Thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lift my hand in an oath to the nations and set up my standard for the peoples. They shall bring your sons in their arms and their daughters shall be carried on their shoulders. Kings shall be your foster fathers and their queens your nursing mothers. And they shall bow down to you with their faces to the earth and lick up the dust of your feet. Then you will know that I am the Lord, for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. For the prey... Shall the prey be taken from the mighty, or the captives of the righteous be delivered? But thus says the Lord, even the captives of the mighty shall be taken away, and the prey of the terrible be delivered. For I will contend with him who contends with you, and I will save your children. I will feed those who oppress you with their own flesh, and they shall be drunk with their own blood as with sweet wine. Understand the metaphors here. All flesh shall know that I, the Lord, am your Savior, and your Redeemer, the Mighty One of Jacob. So the last five out of five is that... Uh, Israel will be vindicated. Um, again, you can see pictures of this. You know, somebody says if you if you want proof that there is a God, look at the Jewish people. Out of all the persecution and all the things they've dealt with, uh, even in the last hundred years, uh, God still is faithful. He still has delivered them, even though evil and free will and and dictators and they rise and fall and horrible things happen uh god will make sure that his people will always be intact even the small population that they are we have a prophecy conference coming up and that's on saturday so i'm going to guess i didn't look at what the speakers are going to say i didn't i'm (laughs) i'm making a prophecy but it's it's really a softball i'm going to guess that that most of them are going to talk about Israel and probably the first speaker will talk about Israel. So you, you can see if I'm right or not. 
um, because Israel is an indicator to the end times. Now, this is very important because I was having a discussion with one of my brothers in the Lord and I said, listen, it doesn't mean that, this is very important, it doesn't mean that everything Israel does today is right or righteous. A lot of the nation of Israel today is a secular nation. So don't get me wrong, I don't, everything Israel does, oh, that's great, oh, that's what, no. Because they don't have godly people running the country. But I am saying there is an incredible groundswell movement of Jews in Israel that are becoming Christians. It's amazing. For people that are over, over there, you hear the, the, the counts that they're giving, it's incredible. Okay? Uh, Israel will move her way through this prophetic calendar, and you keep your eyes on Israel. If you remember, if you weren't here, I taught Isaiah 17. If you go back into the archives on the website, right? Actually, again, it's a softball, so I'm, not, I'm downplaying what I said. But I did make a prophecy. Within a few days, what I said had come to pass. You go on the news, you're like, wow, that, that came to pass. But it was easy. Because I see Isaiah 17, I see what's going on in Syria, and I said, X, Y, and Z will happen, and those things happened within a week. So it doesn't make me a genius or anybody studying the Bible a genius, but what it does is it gives you insight to God's Word. And it shows you, it gives you comfort because you can see the future and know God is in control. God is not done with the Jewish people. He's not done with Israel. Uh, and those who replace replacement theology, and there's a lot of churches that are going through it, uh, are pretty, pretty much discounting Israel and saying, oh, the church is replaced. God doesn't want anything to do to Israel. Well, that's a problem because there's still promises that have been made to Israel that haven't been fulfilled yet. Like that rabbi, don't make that mistake as Christians. So keep your eyes on Israel. If you even can come for a little bit, check out the prophecy conference. So it's very exciting. And the Bible tells us that at, at one point, Zechariah tells us that Israel will be a mass repentance when they see their Messiah again. And now it's, it's going to be an amazing thing, you know. Verse 24 and 25, and these are just, again, some things from the battle. Uh, the Babylonian soldiers were pretty terrifying. But God says, can, can you, they be snatched from the, the warriors? And what happened was when the Medo-Persians came and conquered Babylon and they neutralized the uh, Babylonian army, well, in a sense, God was able to snatch them out of their grasp and send them back to Israel. So follow the imagery and, and the, uh, the historical information there. Uh, we also know that Jesus, through uh, God through Jesus, snatched the strong man's good, goods. Well, if you were with us through our parable series, Satan is the strong man that Jesus describes, and Jesus was able to overpower him and take his goods. And the goods were the people that he kept in blindness and, and um, in hopelessness and being lost until the first century when Christ on the cross redeemed sinners for those who believe in him and trust in him um, they've been snatched from the demonic world you know there's so many benefits there's go to heaven a relationship with god people ask me can a, a true christian be possessed by a demon the answer is no because the holy spirit is we're sealed by the holy spirit so all these really neat things are happening in conclusion verse 23 b says it all and i'll leave you with this it says for they shall not be ashamed who wait for me. It's applicable to the Israelites. Just wait. Seventy years is almost up. This is the prophetic clock. Yeah, but boy, this is, this is a tough wait. Understood. Well, 
And a lot of times we get into these situations like the Israelites did where we put ourselves in the situation, you know, and we're just waiting for God's timing to deliver us from that situation. So you got the Israelites. What about for us? They shall not be ashamed who wait for me. What are you going through this morning, this week? What is it that's been pressing on your heart that's, you're just thinking it's, this season's never going to end? Wait for the Lord. Cry out to him. Don't stop praying. Don't stop petitioning him. But, you know, you'll see. Five years from now, a year, a month, who knows? You look back and you're like, oh, it's, it's, it's over. Thank God. He never forsakes us, just like the uh, message title is. Again, it's a timetable thing that we have difficulty with. That's why the Bible says, wait. Trust him. Pray. Again, it might not be the timing that we, we wish, but just like the Israelites, and God is encouraging them. Now, understand when he wrote this, they weren't even taken over by Babylon yet. Isn't that amazing? So for those that were eventually the Babylonians take over, they have their scriptures with them. They hide them in their garments or whatever. The scriptures were still preserved. When they were able to settle down and read them, like, oh, wow. Isaiah said this before we were even taken by them. And he's, he's encouraging us to wait. And for that generation that went back, oh boy, so much excitement. You can read it in the scripture. Dancing, singing, just excitement. Probably feet hurt, right? Walking like a thousand miles. Um, uh, but God said, you know, even the sun, it's not going to beat on you. It's not going to take you out, you know. You, you'll, you'll get there. I'm going to make sure these things happen. So I just want to encourage you, brothers and sisters, that the Bible is the living word. Yes, it was for them. Yes, it's contextual. But yes has an application for us this morning. So you claim that, you take hold of that, you pray about that, and come back to me and tell me a great work when it's passed. You can, you can tell me while it's happening too. I'll pray for you and um, wait on him because you'll be blessed. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfield. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.